coming to you from the Dietitians and Nutrition Support Dietetic Practice Group. This is the DNS Member Podcast, where we explore topics relevant to our field. From support line content to nutrition celebrity interviews and everything in between, this podcast is where DNS members can go behind the scenes and explore the driving forces behind cutting-edge nutrition support. I'm your host, Christina Rollins. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the DNS podcast. Today, we will be discussing a recent publication in the Journal of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics entitled Comprehensive Application of the Malnutrition Quality Improvement Initiative, or MQII Toolkit, to Pediatric Malnutrition Care. With us today are two of the article's authors, Patricia Becker and Molly Wong Vega. Patricia Becker is a board-certified specialist in pediatric nutrition and a fellow of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. For the past 20 years, Pat has worked as a pediatric dietitian, taking care of children from conception to adulthood, specializing in pediatric, preterm, and neonatal undernutrition. She works as a neonatal dietitian at Dayton Children's Hospital and is co-editor of Pediatric Nutrition in Clinical Care, 5th edition, first author on consensus statement for Aspen and AND Pediatric Malnutrition, and co-author of Identifying Malnutrition in Preterm and Neonatal Populations Recommended Indicators. Pat is also the author of the Pediatric Malnutrition Section of the Pediatric Nutrition Care Manual and serves as chair of the Pediatric Nutrition Risk Screening Project for the Evidence Analysis Library. Molly is a registered dietitian nutritionist and board certified specialist in both pediatrics and sports dietetics. Currently working as a senior clinical dietitian at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston. She earned a bachelor's in nutritional sciences from Texas A&M University, a master's in nutrition from Texas Women's University, and completed her dietetic internship at the Michael A. DeBaki Veterans Affairs Hospital. She is active in research in critical care nephrology and pediatric malnutrition, and is a committee member for the Academy's National Pediatric Malnutrition Workgroup a group who is working to adapt adult malnutrition quality processes to pediatrics. Additionally, she is pursuing her doctorate in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise physiology at the University of Houston, researching the role of physical activity in children with chronic kidney disease. Ladies, thank you so much for being on the DNS podcast. So let's start with some background on the topic at hand. What exactly is MQII and why is it so important to the prevention and care of malnourished patients? The Malnutrition Quality Improvement Initiative aims to advance evidence-based high quality malnutrition care for patients who are malnourished or at risk for malnutrition. The MQII is a project of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Adler Health, and other stakeholders who provide expert input through a collaborative partnership to advance malnutrition care across the nation. So that's what um, the Academy says about it. But for us, MQII is a wonderful toolkit that can be applied to and provides resources for um, malnutrition care in the hospital. Um, And there are um, four um, 
quality measures that can be applied to malnutrition care. And what was the pediatric nutrition practice group's role in applying MQII to the PEDS population? So uh, the pediatric nutrition practice group's role uh, in applying MQII to the pediatric population was really about bringing, I, I believe, more awareness to um, malnutrition and it, the care process from the pediatric stakeholder and standpoint side. Um, when you think about how far the adults have gotten um, in this uh, process of improving the care that they provide, improving diagnosis rates, and uh, overall just bringing to light what a problem malnutrition is. Um, uh, on the adult side, uh, pediatrics was really kind of left at the wayside. We um, really knew that malnutrition is extremely important uh, to address and treat in our children to promote normal, healthy growth. Um, and if it was important for adults, it was 10 times more important for children in our eyes. And so that's kind of where we came about um, really bringing this process to light and just using something that we already had available to us and figuring out from a clinical standpoint what evidence made the most sense to implement. Um, because it's really just a process uh, that we were looking at um, adapting. So what happened to me was I was chair of the pediatric um, nutrition practice group at the time that the academy launched the um, MQII for the adults. And so they were encouraging the membership to adopt MQII, which was implemented in adults and designed for older adults over the age of 65. So when our members called us up call and contacted the board and said, how can we use this? Our response was, you can't um, because it wasn't for children, it was for adults. So that said to the board, you know, what should we tell our members and how can we, um, you know, how can we help them? So that started this process and this is where we landed, which was to, um, to write this article to help our members. Um, adapt and apply the MQII to pediatrics. Which is also how Pat got me involved. I, that's what happens when you send random emails to people. Yeah, it's right. And so that's what started even the pediatric, um, the PNPG malnutrition committee. We said, well, we, we need to adapt this. And so then we need to have a committee to help us adapt it. And so that's how the journey began. So as you were reviewing the processes that were put forth for the adult population, what did you find as far as modifications needing to be made to meet the pediatric needs? Well, the article explains quite a bit of it, but I think in the beginning we found we found there was a lot of difference because you know the all the background information for the MQII was adult based and I think as Molly described, there's a lot of information on the adult side related to malnutrition and not so much on the pediatric side. So even you know, the literature base and the stakeholder base is much smaller on the pediatric side, which is a challenge for us. And the adults had you know, many malnutrition screening tools Then many validated malnutrition screening tools and pediatrics didn't have that. Um, so in the meantime, we had 
um, the EAL um, pediatric screening work group, and we came out with our um, our information that's now on the evidence analysis library in the meantime. So that helped us be able to apply the MQII to pediatrics um, as that, you know, so as we've accumulated more data, that's allowed us to apply this, um, the malnutrition quality improvement initiative to pediatrics. But Pat, right, like, it wouldn't it be amazing to go back on that EAL uh, and then see how many more um, articles that we could potentially pull from when we publish to now, just because I, I think as we create more buzz and awareness to dietitians practicing in pediatrics, they realize, whoa, 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 <laughs> we, we need to investigate this more. And, and I think those practicing in pediatrics that have been able to publish more studies, it's been astonishing to see how much more has gotten done just through, I think, a lot of the advocacy that Pat has done. Uh, yeah, I, I think if you looked at a, a, a graph of the number of, pedi of pediatric-related malnutrition publications from 2015 or, and to, to, to 2021, it's a significant number. So people are publishing more and, and the body of literature is, is much improved, absolutely. That screening piece is just one example, right? MQI is about the entire process of screening to assessment to diagnosis intervention and then uh, having a care plan and monitoring follow-up to begin there. So um, each piece almost had to be considered an adaptation um, as far as how we would assess a pediatric patient with malnutrition. And that even that is still, we're only on step one. The assessment piece is something that still requires more investigation because you know there's pretty much only a couple ways that you is the are the gold standard to diagnose malnutrition in a pediatric patient. So it, it's work in progress. <laughs> and something else that you mentioned in the article is you know this concept of electronic clinical quality metrics or ECQMs, which I don't think that that's a common, I don't think that's a common term among nutrition support dietitians or dietitians in general. So can you help us understand, you know, what does ECQM mean? And then as it relates to reporting, you know, with Medicare patients, is this mandated reporting optional? Kind of what does that look like for hospitals? Well, and I think that, you know, as we continue to move towards electronic health records, more and more of us, I, I think they're very, well, we, we work in urban centers, I, so let me step back. So <laughs> we don't want to be spoiled brats. So we work in urban centers and we have electronic medical records. And as we move towards electronic medical records, that allows us to collect data um, electronically. And so to collect these measures for quality improvement is, is our goal. And on the adult side, the Academy and Aspen and Avalier is advocating for these particular measures. And they are um, the completion of malnutrition screening within 24 hours of admission, completion of a nutrition assessment for patients who've been identified at risk for malnutrition within 24 hours of that screening, 
a nutrition care plan for patients identified with mal malnourished after the completion of the assessment and appropriate documentation of malnutrition as a diagnosis. So to get those electronically in the medical record and to collect that data. And they're working with CMS, um, Centers for um, Medicaid and Medicare Services to get those to be, um, you know, standards um, for CMS. Um, and so they're, and I believe they're making progress in that regard. Um, so that's Medicare, which of course does not apply to pediatrics. But you know what often happens um, with the federal government is once those standards are in place for um, Medicare with CMS that you know um, private insurers and Medicaid follow. And so you know we're hoping that as we collect electronic data, um, you know, and, and it's certainly at my hospital, and I'm sure Molly will agree with this because um, she she does research as well that collecting data helps us, you know, document our outcomes. And helps support why dietitians are important. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and from our standpoint, and at least when we've presented it to our stakeholders and our leadership is the, is from the standpoint of the necessity of the ECQMs. Um, because that's just like Pat said, at some point, these are, these could potentially um, require, be mandatory reporting. Um, they kind of represent, this is what the gold standard of care is. This is what you need to provide in all of your patients and then report it out. Um, and so if we don't want to get stuck, at least from our, uh, from our institution, we don't want to get in a spot where we are scrambling to figure out how to implement it when it goes live. And realistically, I think this is really building the base of how we can be proactive rather than reactive. Um, so for some of the other nutrition support dietitians that may not know what ECQMs are, uh, another good example of that is the requirement for BMI uh, reporting. Uh, if you've ever heard those uh, in preventative care and screening, you have to report a BMI and then you have to have a follow-up plan if it's out of range or that you provided some sort of intervention. Now, dietitians aren't necessarily doing this, but the, these are some requirements that physicians have to document. Uh, and so that's a similar makeup. Uh, and from what I've heard, the ECQM progress that's been made um, for malnutrition, MQII, has really been more of a uh, composite metric. Is that correct, Pat? think you might know more. I'm in the NICU, you know? <laughs> oh, so I have, I, I feel like I heard uh, from Sue Koenig that uh, who's been, you know, the major player in um, that national quality forum um, that it's taken on not in each, uh, ideally the first time that we kind of looked at that it was looked at from the national quality forum is that each one of those items, um, screening, assessment, diagnosis, intervention, were going to be individual ECQMs. But to my knowledge, that's kind of morphed in the group. The National Quality Forum kind of requests more of a composite score as an ECQM. And something else that you, you talked about in the article that I thought was really interesting was this concept of a malnutrition care team. And you actually gave an example of a charter that, that a facility could use um, when launching this team. So 
what does that look like when this team is operational, maybe compared to your more traditional interdisciplinary team that's rounding on patients at the bedside, that kind of thing? And then what advice would you give dietitians who are interested in starting a malnutrition care team at their own facility? And I think it depends upon your facility. So I work at Dayton Children's, which is a small kind of community, more of a community-based institution associated with, you know, a medical school. And um, Molly works at Texas Children's, which is a very large institution. So I think it depends upon your institution. Large isn't always better. Yeah, I'm and large isn't and large is very different. So there's more layers. Yeah, there's more layers. So it's 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 much more challenging at a very large institution to operationalize something like that. So in a large institution like Texas Children's or you know CHOP, you would probably need to go through your clinical nutrition department. Um, and through your manager and your supervisor and, and tr- to, to operationalize something like this. Yeah, in, an, in a smaller institution, in a community hospital where perhaps the dietitian is the only, you know, clinical nutrition person, you might, you know, have a physician champion. So it really depends upon your institution, you know, so if you're the sole nutrition person, your team would look very different than if you were in a great big, you know, urban, you know, university academic center. So it depends upon the institution. So and if you're if you're a peds unit in a big hospital, it'll look very different than if you're in a freestanding children's hospital. So but the place to start is with a champion. So to find an individual who's very interested in nutrition and in the patient population that you serve and to, you know, get them on board with um, malnutrition quality improvement and to find some markers. And, and I'm going to just use an example of in the NICU where I work at Dayton Children's. So we have a quality assurance council in the NICU. So we started presenting the feeding guidelines and over the course of you know a year and a half, we went from presenting the feeding guidelines through the quality council. And so we decided we needed a nutrition committee on the quality council where we provided, where we presented every month, not just when a project came up, that the nutrition issues in the neonatal intensive care unit were not just a sometimes deal, but an all-the-time deal. And so you needed a committee, not just an occasional project, because, you know, nutrition is an issue all the time in the NICU. So, you know, so we, you know, for quality improvement, you need to, you know, champion your, your population. Um, So finding a and so we found a champion and we moved in that direction. And, and now it's a, we present on a monthly basis. So finding a champion to help you move forward in leadership is, is the first step there. Once you've gone through all of those steps and you have your champions on board and you've proven to the staff that this really will make their life and their work better, um, what benefits are you then seeing with your patients? So the benefit, so the benefit to the, to the, I'm going to start with the benefits to the institution. So the benefit to the the benefit to the institution is a more cohesive team. 
we have seen benefit in reimbursement in our small institution because we are seeing more coding of malnutrition, which has improved our severity of illness and our risk of mortality. And so we're, we've seen improved reimbursement at, at Dayton Children's. Now we're a small institution, so that may or may not happen in you know, a big institution like CHOP or um, Texas Children's, but for us, it's been significant. Um, we can only hope that recognition of malnutrition and early diagnosis and good assessment and earlier intervention improves outcomes. Um, collecting data and publishing that data seems to show that. Um, I certainly believe it, um, so that that is true. So we find that the literature shows that and it shortens length of stay um, and improves outcomes. So we hope that to be the case in our patients. Um, and I know dietitians believe that to be true. And, and we are finding in the NICU that, you know, when we get people to, you know, improve nutrition in our, in our patient populations, we, we see um, people come off the vent and, 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 yeah, and improve outcomes in our patients. So that's what we've been seeing. I um, can't say that we have seen significant difference in outcomes, primarily because it's very hard to track them <laughs> without standardized metrics. Um, and we're only at that stage where we are trying to standardize our metrics and create more standardized protocols. And I um, admittedly used to be the person to say, oh, standardizing protocols doesn't work because then you lose like your brain, you don't think. But what it does do is help you identify the things that you're missing. Um, you know, you can identify gaps in the system a little bit better. And that's kind of part of quality, quality analysis. Uh, you have a standard protocol and then you figure out why it's not working to achieve the outcomes you're looking for. But without a protocol, you don't really have outcomes to necessarily track well, right? You, you can't do that gap analysis to figure out what's going on uh, and what this, what are you comparing it to? Because then everybody does things differently and it's very hard to create an intervention to change outcomes um, like length of stay, readmission rates, uh, those kinds of things. Um, and I hope that one day that we have a system uh, in place at my institution that works really like a well-oiled machine, but we're really at the beginning stages and the metrics that we're looking at is really um, just that we can actually get that diagnosis first, <laughs> which seems like a small step or ensure that we aren't missing screens, uh, because I think there's also this focus on length of stay, getting patients out of the hospital faster. But at that point, too, we're also missing a ton of screens because they're just trying to get people out. Um, so there's so many pieces that we can improve upon, but it's um, been difficult without standardized protocols and processes. But again, I think malnutrition quality initiative helps that piece um, if we can just figure out how to make it streamlined. Yeah, but I think having something like MQII allows us to know what the goals are 
Um, and if you don't have the initiatives, you don't know, you know, if you don't have those, those matrix, you don't know where to even focus. So if you know your intention is to get everybody screened and to use a standardized validated screen and to get the assessment done and to get the diagnosis documented. And if you just have those, ma those matrix goals, you know, and then you can work on intervention and outcomes, those goals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, then when you're down three dietitians, it's like, yeah, I know we are too. Yeah. Those are the challenges. You know, you're just trying to make sure everybody gets seen. So those are our challenges. So what can we expect to see in the future as it relates to MQII, like additional toolkits, webinars? I think that's our, that's our goal is that we, our initial goal was just to put the, put an article out there to allow people to, you know, embrace how applying the toolkit to, or applying MQII to pediatrics, you know, just to understand the concept and then to start taking the tool the toolkit. Of course, we're anxiously looking forward to the validation study for the um, Academy and Aspen indicators of malnutrition and, and see how, you know, what that outcome is. Um, that's been significantly delayed by the coronavirus um, as, you know, this study is probably going to be two years. It's probably going to be another two years before the results are available, unfortunately, um, due to the coronavirus, which is just cramping all of our styles, <laughs> you know, so um, to see whether or not, you know, and, you know, but as people continue to use nutrition focused physical exam and mid upper arm circumferences, you know, tools become available and, as people continue to use validated malnutrition risk screening tools and, and publish more data, um, you know, in pediatrics, and more and more information is available to us. Right, and I, I would say that there's nothing necessarily that would change about the process, but maybe the, the tools in which we're using and the specific indicators that we say, or the screening criteria or different um, intervention methods, what have you. And more published outcomes would be awesome. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and that's more of a call to action for anybody yeah. listening to your podcast is we need more data. We always need more data, but especially in pediatrics, I feel like we get uh, pushed by the wayside sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, any, and I've always said that, you know, whatever you want to publish is worth submitting to the to the journal of your choice so if you if you think whatever you're doing is interesting whether it's a quality improvement initiative that you're engaged in or you know so publishing your information is is always helpful and i would say that one more point that mqi itself is overwhelming it is <laughs> It's very overwhelming. How long did it take us to write this article? <laughs> Three years? It, it took us it's, a long time. You know what? It's Wendy Phillips. She whips people into shape. <laughs> so if you need That's, help, call Wendy. <laughs> yes. Um, but yes, it's very overwhelming. But if you can just step, off, step, 
step back and, and see it as, as the process that it is, and then really identify one step of change at a time. Uh, I, I feel like that's kind of what's helped our um, progress at our institution. Um, we have one thing we wanna focus on and we get a group together to focus on it and adjust it. And while we go through all our red tape uh, that we have at a large institution, we move on to the next project until we can implement the previous project. Sometimes small ponds are better. Um, that's kind of how we've uh, managed it so far. All right. Well, I think with that, we will conclude today's podcast. Thank you both so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to chat with us today. Listeners, to learn more about applying the MQII toolkit in malnourished pediatric patients, please check out the June 2021 edition of the Journal of Academy in Nutrition and Dietetics. Until next time, I'm Christina Rollins. Thanks for listening. Thank you.